Welcome back to Far From Perfect. I am your host, Kylie Larson, and today, Joe Iben is back on the podcast. This is his fourth appearance, and per usual, you are welcome for your weekly therapy session that's on me. Um, Every time I sit down with Joe, the conversation just flows so easily, and I'd like to tell you what you're about to listen to, but we covered so much ground, it's impossible for me to summarize. I will say we started with talking about how divisive our culture currently is and how we're living with this anxiety and overwhelm and that's like our base level and we just can't we just can't exhale. So, like I said, it's hard for me to go into everything that we talked about but we talked about how like everyone is in a certain camp. Like you do this kind of yoga and if you only do that kind of yoga, it's bad. You eat this way or you eat that way. And we just aren't finding that middle ground and we talk about why we're in this spot. And I know that you're gonna walk away from this this podcast feeling a little bit more seen, hopefully feeling a little bit better and definitely feeling like you have some aha moments. So thanks for being here. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, everyone. We have Joe Ivan back with us, and I am so excited. Joe, I think it's your third time on the podcast. Yes. You were one fourth, of the- I think fourth. Fourth. Oh, yes. 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 So great. We are due. We are due for Doctor Joe, as I call you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys, Joe's a therapist, and I think we all need a little therapy right now. He's not going to be delivering therapy per se, but talking about a lot of the things that are you know, just coming up in both of our lives, talking about this polarization of like the fitness industry, nutrition industry, therapy industry, and all of that. So just in case someone has not listened to you before, Joe, can you just give a little background about who you are and what you do? Sure. Yes. Yeah. It's great to see you as always. You're one of my favorite people. Um, Like, you know, I always, I still, I can't look at Julian um, Michaels or Kelly Ripa and not think if the two of those women could procreate, you would be, you would be the the my all-time favorite Facebook post. It's very true, very true. Um, my name's Joe Ivan. I'm a therapist in Seattle. I met you um, back when we lived in Colorado, or when you you still live in Colorado. When I lived yeah. in Colorado, um, I do um, lots of different things in terms of the therapeutic work that I do. Um, I teach at yoga teacher trainings, and I speak of the psychology around yoga and the relationship with food and body. You know, I lead trainings and coach new therapists on uh, different nuances of the field and working on personal growth and self-development. And then I also have a private practice in Seattle, which I'm really grateful for. And I work with people globally um, from a coaching perspective to help them with their relationship with food and body. And um, yeah, so that's kind of me. Yeah. Yeah. I I was telling you earlier, I'm going into my 50th year. I still can't, my 50th year on the planet my 17th year of being a therapist. Um, yeah. Isn't it wild? Like, how can we possibly be talking in that large a chunk of time? Right, half a century. Yeah, like, <laughs> I honestly still feel like I'm 18. Same, yeah. You know, it's just like, it just blows my mind. I just turned 45. And the fact that you are turning 50, I'm like, well, we're peers. Yeah. Like, an adult, does that mean I'm an adult? No. Absolutely, right? Well, it's always that dance of like reminding ourselves of like, you know, where is the growth and the healing of being able to step into these new aspects and new facets of our life, right? In like a developmental stage and being able to embrace the aging process and be able to say, you know, I did that in my twenties and I'm really glad that I did that, but I've now moved into this, you know, um, and attaining that soul and that joy of who we really are. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times even I look at photographs of myself as a child and I, I look in a, as a way to remind myself of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's always that that dance of 
how do we stay in the process of growth and seeking that growth and seeking change really to allow ourselves to burn off the parts of ourselves that no longer are useful and that no longer really serve our greatest good. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I always hear, I hear oftentimes in yoga, pe- teachers will say, let go of what serves you. And again, I don't really take issue with that, but it's more of trying to let go of what doesn't serve the version of who I want to be right now, because everything ultimately serves us, you know, even addiction serves us, you know, it all serves us. It's more of, do I want to embrace that piece of me right now? And can I burn off those, those things that don't serve the person I want to be today? You know, that's so interesting. Speaking of yoga, I, um, when I first started practicing yoga, it was, it was at, uh, 24 hour fitness, right? I was injured and I went to a gym class and it, I loved the teacher and it's really history from there. Yeah. And I went to about two classes, started researching other studios around. And that's where I found a Bikram yoga. And I did yeah. yoga religiously, literally six days a week for five to six years. Yeah. I was a Bikram devotee for a handful of years too. But that does not serve who I want to be, who I'm evolving into now. And it's just so interesting. At that point in my life, I needed it. I needed what it had to offer, but now that is not, it's too rigid to whatever. Absolutely. You know, you just evolve. It's crazy. Well, it's like, I think it speaks to the, you know, I'm a big component of the parts of the personality and embracing those different components and those parts, if you will. Mm -hmm. And the part of me that likes deep rigidity and kind of aggression was Mm -hmm. very connected to Bikram. Yeah. And was very connected to working with trainers that would scream at me and shame me if I couldn't do the exercises mm-hmm. and would go to classes where the teacher was profoundly aggressive. Like I was very drawn to that and that fit where I need, where I was in my life at that time. That was also a time in my life where I was a bit more punishing to myself. And I thought that that was the way, and I tend to be an intense person and very fiery, very Pitta in the Ayurvedic world. So I already know that I gravitate towards that. So when I found things like that, I became very, very, um, I would say disciplined. But when I look back, it was more obsessional, very similar to how I love diets that were extreme. You know, I liked things that would cut out major food groups or that were very rigid. It like it was very comfortable for me to fall into that as I age and as I mature the hope is is that I can incorporate those components sometimes so I do enjoy Bikram occasionally I do like boot camp hardcore classes Um, I do like to push myself Um, but I no longer want to be in that place of kind of the intensity because I feel like then there's a an imbalance where some people need a little bit of that intensity like they need that push because their you know constitution if you will, is a bit on the lower energy where mine is not. So I need those things that force me to kind of come into balance. And I think it's hard because we live in a culture that is so imbalanced, Mm -hmm. so polarizing, and really it gets so dogmatic that if you don't believe in every single principle with, with like, let's say an idea, then all of a sudden, like you're not part of that tribe anymore, which then creates trauma. So if we look at the idea of, let's say, politics, just from a macro, bigger picture perspective, so many um, people, I feel, really kind of, this is what I experience in my personal life, my professional life, and my day-to-day life. So many people fall into a bit of a middle ground where they could kind of understand one side of the political aisle. They can also maybe understand some other components of the political aisle. They have some grace for maybe some people that disagree with them. I would say that's the most, most of people. But I think what's happened to our culture is become, it's become so polarized that if you disagree with one aspect of like, let's say an idea, then you're kind of pushed out. And so I think that that kind of also encapsulates a lot of the fitness industry where it's like you're a devotee of whatever. So it's like, oh, I only do CrossFit. So the idea of yin yoga is trash. Mm-hmm. Or I'm a yogi. So the fact that you want to go to a spin class like that, that seems aggressive. You know, so it's like we've kind of lost this ability to, to recognize that we need to embrace all components of self mm-hmm. and recognize that there is a need that we have for um, consistency. And there is a need we have for like knowing when you walk into a Bikram class, for example, you know exactly what they're going to say. 
and you know exactly what you're going to do. And there's no question that actually can be calming for the nervous system to know exactly what you're getting. There's also a need to go into a class where you have no idea what the teacher is going to do. And you have to be kind of surprised the whole time. So you have to be really in the moment. You have to be willing to do something different. We have a need for that as well. So instead of, I think, being polarized or saying one's better than the other, or this is trash because it's not what I believe. It's like understanding that there's a necessity for all these facets and understanding that we individually as people, if the more that we move towards that middle ground and that balance, that I think the more healing we really will have because we're, we're open to the idea that maybe we need something additional or maybe we need to change something a little bit. Absolutely. And you know, the whole idea of like ego is kind of like popping up in my head. Like we get so attached to this identity. Um, and I was actually in a yoga teacher training this weekend. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Really interesting to hear different perspectives and, you know, it, it this polarity that we're talking about in fitness in general and therapy and coaching, it is alive and well in yoga. Oh, you practice at this studio. Oh, yeah. you take that kind of yoga oh, well, we do it this way. And I'm just like, oh, it's just yoga. Like, why do we have to like name it or whatever? It's right. Like, so funny. Exactly. Well, it's, I think, again, it's this profound desire to feel that we belong to the tribe and that we fit in and that we're looking for identity. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of, well, I fit into this group. So I'm in this identity. It's one thing that I've gotten a lot of flack for in my life. I I cannot tolerate being told I'm part of the LGBTQIA plus a whatever alphabet type community. And it's not about internalized homophobia. It's just like, I am so much broader as a human being to kind of fit into this community. And so for me, sometimes I relate more to a neighbor, a colleague, um, like that's more of like my world. It's not my sexual orientation yeah. which may be one of the most uninteresting things about me as a person possibly yeah. and interesting so I have a hard time when I'm looped into this community and again it's not an aggression I'm not like upset it just doesn't resonate and I think that's what happens in like for example the yoga world many times people say to me oh you're a yogi you must do this or oh since you practice yoga you must be zen all the time and especially when I tell people how long I've been practicing, it's uh, 24, I'm going into my 24th year of practicing uh -huh. yoga. Uh -huh. So it's been a, a stable, consistent relationship in my life. But it's many times people will say, oh, you must, you probably wouldn't do this because you do yoga. I'm like, what does that have to do with yoga? But okay, like, I no, I didn't think of it that way, you know? That is so funny. And like, I feel so seen right now because the, the like to me the worst thing you can do is like put me in a box Same. I am not just a weightlifter I am not just a nutrition coach I am not you one of the worst thing you could call me is like a basic bitch like that is right. the last thing I ever want to be called and yeah. I know it's like not on par with LGBTQ all the things but yeah. same like why do I why do I have to be put in this box so that you same. can understand yeah it's exactly the same it's it's I find that we I think as human beings, we're quite flawed, myself included, obviously, I would never think that I'm yeah. above any of this, right? right? It's more of this idea of like, almost, we're doing the exact opposite of the intention. Yeah. So the idea of inclusiveness, especially being a gay guy, that grew, I know I lived through the 90s with, you know, fear, everyone was afraid that I would give them AIDS, you know, yeah. like, it's, it's a scare, you know, I've been through some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think this idea of inclusion and you know, progression and momentum has been so beautiful, especially to see within my lifetime, because it's been a drastic shift in my lifetime. You know, I went from, you know, having to see a warning label on television when Ellen DeGeneres came out of the closet to mm. then, you know, gay characters. And I would say 90% of the shows or movies I watch, if they're newer, there's a gay character. And I'm like, God, the world has shifted in such a beautiful way. But I think that we've we've done a disservice to like categorize or put people in boxes or label me in such a way, or people will assume, you know, my political ideology, my religious ideology, whatever, based on my sexual orientation. And I feel like it's done such a disservice because it's limiting us. And I think in, if we relate it to like the food nutrition industry, I feel like there's a similarity of, I like I, I've, it's fascinating to me when I've heard people say I'm keto, that's very interesting to me. Like I'm blank versus maybe 
currently I'm following this diet and it's working for me. And I'm when I, that seems more realistic to me, but I'm keto, I'm vegan, I'm carnivore, mm-hmm. like whatever the new thing that will come, right? Yeah. And again, it's like this identity, which then I see will promote shame if you step out of it. So like, I see this all the time with friends. Like, let's say they're telling me that they're doing a low carb diet. And then I always tell them that that's bullshit, but whatever, I can't, you know, make them. Right. But then they'll eat a piece of bread and give me a justification while they're eating it. And I feel yeah. like it's, it's like, first of all, I don't care. All right. Second of all, I can feel that there's a shame coming up because they went against, you know, the, the doctrine of low carbohydrate or something. And again, I feel it's just this, this profound lack of balance because as a culture and as a society, there's been such a downfall of joy, a downfall of feeling peaceful a downfall of true connection. And what I've seen even more so with the profound blast and um, influx of social media is that we are very much aware. We are very much um, in the know. We have lots of information about people, too much. Yeah. And a very, very, very low connection that's meaningful. And I was reading a recent poll and they were 77% of men that were polled said that they were lonely. And it didn't matter if they were married, if they were single, like just this kind of feeling of loneliness and lack of connection. And I think too, it's such a, I feel like it would be similar to, and this is, this might sound like a weird analogy, but I feel like it would be like if you worked in a restaurant all day long, or you owned a restaurant, so you were there from the minute it opens to the minute it closes. There might be a time that you like don't realize that you didn't eat much because you're just surrounded with food and you're serving food and you're preparing food and you're prepping food. Like you didn't realize that you didn't sit down and enjoy a meal because you're with food all day. And so I kind of related to this idea of social media because people have thousands of followers or comments or DMs or all these things. They it's a belief that there's this constant interaction with people, but then there's a little bit of loneliness around the lack of true connection. Um, And then there's this kind of like, well, let me get into a tribe. Let me identify with something. Let me get into a group. Let me feel like there's some kind of community, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the light side of that is that we have people that we can, you know, relate with. And the dark side of it is that we, begin to lose our own autonomy or sense of self because we're so focused on what will the community say you know what what will they say if I post this like even that idea of like if I shared what I thought I'm afraid of the backlash was not something that I heard 10 years ago 12 years ago you know yeah yeah it's so interesting again this weekend uh, because I was surrounded by people in real life and I couldn't be like on my phone or whatever uh, I noticed that I noticed how that helped me not think about work or other people. I was actually more, I mean, of course, I was more present in what I was doing because right. I was surrounded by real people. And it really got me thinking yeah. about some things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like, like, are we at this point of no return? I don't, I don't know the answer. I know. I mean, I tend to be. I like to say that I'm a realist. There's mm-hmm. times it can sound pessimistic, but I do feel like the the there is kind of a point of no return. Um, and it's just getting more excessively extreme in that mm-hmm. in that piece. Um, but it, it's like that, the idea of, of course we need these things in our life in many ways to function, whether it be for our business or for connection. You know, so it's like, I would not get rid of my cell phone. I'm not going to not use the internet. I'm not going to delete all my social media. It's just the, I think, striking that balance mm-hmm. of, knowing that it's kind of like a trans it's it takes you out of the moment so it's like if you took a psychedelic drug or if you drank a glass of wine you would go oh I'm altered like I'm not with this group of people because this person's on LSD or something or this person's drinking they're out of the the loop that's what our phones do to us when we're with someone or we're in it we're, we're when we're in an environment, as soon as we look to that, we go to a different world and it takes us out of where we're, we're really at. 
I think that repetitive thing of doing that over and over and over and over creates a little bit of dissociation for people. And then it also creates this thing of like, well, what am I going to do with my thoughts? What am I going to do with silence? I have to be engaged in something. And I think that keeps our nervous system just constantly under stress. It's always a little bit activated. And so the the nervous system is like really built to kind of layman's terms, built in like three layers. There's activation, there's rebound, and then there's collapse. And I think that so many people are spending their days in activation. And then they're looking for something like the magic solution. Like, give me the diet that's going to make my life better. What's the fitness plan that's going to change my life? What's the book that's going to make it better? Tell me a podcast to change my life. Okay, I'll go to therapy. Okay, I'll take a medication. And really, I think it's this profound, like kind of loneliness, lack of connection. And then also our culture, the profound benefit that our culture gets when everyone is in a state of activation Mm. and kind of in a state of fear because they're going to be easier to control and they're going to spend more money. And so that's really going, that's going to benefit certain population of our culture and it's going to harm the majority of it because it's not going to let people exhale. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to, it's like, we can't exhale because it's like, oh, well, what about this catastrophe? What about this war? What about this political person? What about this devastating thing, right? And so like, there's this almost fear to just be okay because then people will feel guilty that they feel okay. Like it's almost like a a shame or a guilt or an embarrassment to say, I'm doing well and I'm taking care of myself and I have a lot of love in my life. Yeah. There's a guilt with that. Oh yeah, I was actually... um on a call this morning with a group of the, with the group that I'm participating in and not to compare, but I'm listening to people speak and I'm like, Oh, that's rough. Ooh, mm-hmm. she's really got rough too. And I'm like, I don't want to say, I mean, I'm dealing with my own stuff, but not as bad as what other people are. And so I don't want to say all what's good because then I feel, I feel bad. And that's mm-hmm. a real thing. Right. Oh. It's well, it's like, it's also because our cultural messages you know, how dare you feel good? There needs to be something that you're worried about. There needs to be a, and again, it's like that dance between acknowledging the devastation and being willing to have maybe hard conversations and to feel it. Mm -hmm. And then also knowing how do we have our own resiliency to be able to show up? Like, how can I show, like, if I think, I think of my work all the time in my practice, I feel like caring for myself meditating regularly, keeping my body as fit as it can be and as healthy as it can be, getting good sleep is like a job requirement because I can't show up with someone and sit with them if I'm not showing up for myself. And Mm -hmm. so I look at like, when it comes to devastating things in the world, whether we're looking at war, politics, you know, crime so much, I have to care for myself and have resiliency. It doesn't mean that I don't care about those things. It's just that I need to build that resiliency so I can actually show up and support people in the way that I do. Um, But there's, I find that a lot. I also live in Seattle, which tends to have certain, let's say, um, you know, maybe like a, a, I always say it's like wealthy white people, liberal guilt. So my Seattle... My Seattle folks that listen to this are going to like take issue with me, but let's just say that's an energy here. Like that's yeah. kind of a thing here, right? It's, Understood. It's common, right? It's like, I can't tell how many times I've shared something good with someone and they'll be like, oh my God, did you see the babies that were bombed in Gaza? And I was oh, like, I yeah. did, I did. And it's, it's devastating to me and I'm not denying that. Mm-hmm. And I also know that I can't always take all of that in. Yes, I can't. And then we also have like a an entertainment industry that like, you know, every five seconds, there's a new crime show and a new crime series and a new Jeffrey Dahmer slash Ted Bundy. Like there's this kind of like obsession with um, intensity. So it's kind of like, you know, our real world, quote unquote, if we call it that, has got a lot of devastation, and a lot of intensity. And then our entertainment world is like profiling a serial killer. <laughs> so guilty of all this. Right. And so it's like, 
I wonder why everyone feels unhinged and anxious. I wonder, I wonder why there's like a decline in people's mental health. I wonder why, you know, that it's really just being able to, I think, have a little bit of levity and understanding that it's not that we shouldn't care because I think we should. It's how do we balance that and like care for our nervous system and show up so whether that be if you're a person that you believe that protesting is a way to get your voice across if you believe that posting things online if you believe that donating money if you believe in having conversations with friends and family that's one thing that i always find and people might disagree with me you know people could be very public with their ideas whether it be on social media or in a like a protesting environment i sometimes think that we forget about talking to the people in our circle and talking to the people we love and having like a loving conversation about the reality of things and maybe understanding someone's viewpoint and then you sharing your viewpoint, maybe coming to a common ground. Like we forgot about that. Like, so it's it's all about like kind of this public uh, mm-hmm. way to, to, to share, but we forget about maybe the real impact of a connection and a relationship that we have with people in our lives. Same thing when it comes to people wanting to change their relationship with food or get healthier. I think we have a lot of information out there people can access. I don't think we have a lack of it. But sometimes being inspired by someone you care about or you know, having a heart-to-heart with someone that you love, those are the kind of things that change our minds and change our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's the same across the board. I look at, you know, the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. You know, it didn't surprise me that I was drawn to those intense fitnessy things when I was younger. That yeah. doesn't, because that's my, very much my personality, you know. Absolutely. Well, and back to your point about you taking care of you is listening to Patrick talk about some stuff going on with people at work and they're not well. And I was like, so they can't like go make their sales calls because of, all of this stuff. And like, so maybe you are serving people like Joe and I are, or maybe you are just needed to go make sales calls or do somebody's taxes. Like you cannot do your job if you do not take care of yourself. If I were in a position to hire people, which I mean, I kind of am, but let's say I had a different kind of business. I would want to know how many hours of sleep are you getting each night? I want to know how much sleep you're getting. I want to know how protein you're eating, how much protein you're eating. I want to know your workout routine. I don't know if I can ask those things legally, but those are things I need to know. Of course, right? I know. Yeah, I I don't know the specifics if those are legal, but they're so important. You know, it's like I I was telling you earlier, I've had clients that have said to me that they were surprised that I asked them, like when I'm working with clients, when it comes to food and body or disordered eating, and I do work with, with folks that struggle with that, but I'm just talking people that maybe would come in with a relationship issue or talk about some depression that they're going through, or, you know, maybe a life event that they want some support with. Um, So many times I'll have, I ask them questions about what they're eating, Mm -hmm. you know, and many times people are surprised. I don't think people are evasive about it, but there are surprised that I'll say, you know, I'll have a session with them at 10 a.m. and I'll ask them what they had for breakfast and they'll look surprised. And sometimes they say I had coffee. And I said, I can feel that because I don't feel that you're settled in your in your body. Like you you feel unsettled to me. So let's practice getting into the body and settling a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then also have maybe a little bit of education around the impact of drinking coffee on an empty stomach with no food. And maybe that, that I say maybe jokingly, maybe that contributes to some anxiety, right? <laughs> so just kind of helping people see that it's not that we're, we need to be scolded and it's not that we're bad. I just think that we're kind of on this journey of of the hope is, is that we can, when we know better, we can do better and that we can have this kind of beautiful synergistic relationship with letting go and knowing that so much is out of our control, so much and embracing the things that we can control, embracing the things that we do have a say in. And so that's usually what are we drinking? What are we eating? What are we thinking? Who are we spending time with? Like we have some agency in those things, you know? So it's like, you know, I know a lot of folks that are like, you know, meticulously reading a label to make sure they don't get a GMO. But I'm like, how about the people in your life? How toxic is that? How dare their label? You know, I'm like, if the label has a red flag on it and it's a person, I think it's worse than the high fructose corn syrup in that snack you're about to eat. 100%. And I feel like everybody now needs labels. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I need that to know me- what you're made of. Right. It's like, 
I have, I'm sleep deprived and have an attitude and have road rage. So just know, you know, and I think on my best days, you know, I can have interactions with people. The other day I was chatting with a friend and I had a couple interactions that were just so aggressive. Like I was at a store and I was asking the salesperson or the cashier a question and they had that plexiglass in front of them and oh, I could God. not, and I already have hearing issues and I didn't have my hearing aids in cause I was headed to yoga and uh, I could not hear. And I kept saying, can you please repeat that? he got so angry with me and like slammed it down on the, on the counter. And I was like, okay, like he's clearly struggling. And then I was, I was driving in, in traffic and we were at a four way stop and I didn't realize I started to go and it was not my turn to go. And I tend that is me. I'll just try to zip and get quickly. And the guy, and I realized someone was, it was someone else's turn to go. And uh, he rolled on his window and started screaming at me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then like I was walking into yoga and I just was kind of like trying to take a breath and I was looking around and I was like, every person was walking past me was staring down at their phone, every single person. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, you know, on my best days, I can have a lot of empathy for this. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's like a collective malaise of, I would say unhappiness and yeah. stress. And yeah. I think that's now the norm. I think the norm, the baseline for most people is a little bit of overwhelm and a little bit of anxiety. And I think what happens too, I shouldn't say I think, what I know what happens in the mind and the nervous system is once we're under that acute stress and chronic over, over and over, you know, we deplete our system, but even deeper than that, we become addicted to that feeling and then Mm -hmm. we start creating it. And then we start to feel guilty when we feel good. And when we feel calm or feel good, it feels boring. And then we have to we have to put something in there to make it bad or make it intense. And so it's this kind of, always it's a dance. It's funny, I'm not a dancer, my husband is, but I'm not a dancer, but I use that analogy a lot. It's this dance between how are we acknowledging the reality of the world we're in and not pretending that it is what it is and then how do we also try to provide inspiration or a light or a rock or some kind of support to people and i find as a therapist on a regular basis i'm very relational i share things with my clients i'm not a blank slate i'm not like an an analyst therapist that sits behind the clients and takes notes i like engage and i connect and i i share pieces of me um, because i feel that we heal in relationship um and there's so many times when a client is sharing something about their struggle with, you know, being a, a good mom or feeling like they want to be a better partner or being scared to show up in the way that they want to or feeling really sad about the way the world is or feeling kind of like a low motivation to feel positive. Mm-hmm. So many times I'll say, I can really relate with that. I can, as a human being, I really get it. And I get it personally and I get it professionally. You know, how can we do some work together to have a little bit of peace around this and create a little bit more acceptance for sometimes the paradox mm. of I'm okay and I'm not okay. And it's okay that I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. that both, like I think, you know, a lot of times when people ask me how I'm doing, I know we casually ask that. Most of the time we say, I'm good. How about you? You know, and then with someone that you feel a little closer to, you could tell them a little more real depth. Oftentimes I'll say, you know, I'm really doing great and I feel good, but God, this world is fucked up and I don't know how to deal with it sometimes. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to feel, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I was, it, it's one of those things where it's like that acceptance of that paradox of we're not collect we're not okay collectively we're not we are at war from an external standpoint we're at war from an internal standpoint and we're at war in a like an an intrapsychic point so there's this kind of like constant mirroring the more that there's a kind of crumbling of what society could be right? And what it once was. I see that mirrored in people's psyche. The more that we're at war politically, online, ideologically, 
the more we start to then internalize that and become at war with ourselves. And then that manifests into eating disorders, addiction, mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. You know, I always think, you know, I say all the time with my clients with eating disorders and I share my personal experience of having disordered eating in, in childhood and adolescence in particular. Um, it was an internal war and that's what an eating disorder is. Yeah. It's a war against self. It's shame attack but it's a war and so oftentimes you know like i will say well yeah we can you can read 30 books on eating disorders you know and you can definitely do treatment where we set your food down and we sometimes tube feed you those are all strategies of intervention but can we get curious about laying the white flag down and can we stop the war because the disorder will never be healed if the war is still active yeah. and so i think that as, as I share that, I'm thinking just like big picture of kind of our culture being at war with each other. And then, you know, even bigger than that with, you know, genocide and just vicious, like unspeakable things. But if we bring it back to self, you know, where are we at war with self? Where, you know, it's, and self-love, you know, is big, right? We talk about that all the time. I hear it repetitively, self-love, self-love, self-love. Clients ask me all the time, how do I get self-love? How do I do self-love? And I was like, well, I will tell you, but you're not going to like the answer. You know, <laughs> we, need to, we need to explore the areas of self-hate. Mm. Like that's where we find the self-love. We got to explore those areas of self-hate because that's how we find it. Mm. You know, because if we're clueless to those, if we are keeping those in the shadow, then we're never going to find the light. We're never going to be able to find that love. No. You know, as we talk about like all of this stuff, like one of the overarching themes that I'm hearing is it's, it's like this ownership of like, we were looking to all of these things to tell us exactly what to do. And that we find one and that's what creates that polarity. And we're being impacted right. by wars all around us and all of that. But like, ultimately we have to like find ourselves. Like yes. we make these decisions for ourselves, that balance that you were talking about just a few moments ago. And I think that's what people really struggle with. The day they don't trust themselves to find right. the balance, they just don't know. It's hard. Well, it's because we need to face the self, yeah. which is terrifying. Yeah. And I would say most people, most lie to themselves constantly and oh, hate yeah. themselves and, and hate themselves in the process. Mm -hmm. I think the courage is to tell yourself the truth that you don't want it, that you don't want to be true mm -hmm. and to love yourself through it. And I know from a personal standpoint, of course I see it professionally, but personally, when I've told myself the truth about things I did not want to be true and I had deep problems with those things being true yeah. and I loved myself in the process, that's when I healed it. Mm -hmm. Spending many times long, lying to myself, but hating myself in the process that I knew I was ultimately lying. And it was, it's the lying to self of when we know it's true and we know it's how we feel, but we, we can't embrace it. You know, and that's the accountability piece you were speaking to as well. So it's easy to have, and again, it's to not minimize the reality of what mental health and trauma does to people because it changes the brain. And mm -hmm. so it's like to be able just to tell someone, hey, you should eat better and work out sometimes can be really cruel when a person's in a place of, of deep struggle. But oftentimes it's very easy to come up with all the reasons why we can't do it because the ego is obsessed with sameness. It wants repetition. The ego has zero interest in growth, zero. So it's a deeper calling, if you will, to tap into your spirit, to tap into your greatness, to tap into that part of you that believes in you. So as much as we might have some struggles, some self-esteem, some self-hatred, there's a part of you, and we got to find it, that we tap into to be able to go, this is what we're going to focus on. Because the ego wants us to do the same thing it did yesterday. You know, the ego fears that we will die if we change. It has no interest in growth, mm -hmm. none. It's deeper than that. So the accountability, if we're just doing it cognitively, like if we're just like, I should do this, okay, I should meet with Joe once a week and then I should consult with Kylie and get a nutrition plan going and I should go to the gym. Like I hear it all the time. Like a lot of times it's about relanguaging things too. Like I oftentimes will say, I'm so lucky I get to go to the gym after work. Mm. But I hear people say, I should do it. 
And so what that's doing to the unconscious is it's making it like a chore. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't do it, you're going to shame yourself. And while you're doing it, you're probably not going to be present with it. And so it's sometimes about relanguaging it too and being able to go, I'm actually seeking something deeper than just checking this off my list. Like I want to tap into that part of me that is great. I want to tap into that part of me that has courage. And I think that comes with like our fitness world, our spiritual world, the way we eat, mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes the most loving thing we can do is share a chocolate chip cookie with a friend. <laughs> and also sometimes some of the most destructive things we can do is sit on the couch and stare at the television and eat a bag of chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. Like it's never one size fits all. It's really about what are you connected to? Are you dissociated and numbing with food? Are you present with something that you know nutritionally is just like lots of sugar and dye, right? <laughs> but you're in the process of actually experiencing it with someone that you love and it doesn't become a numbing yeah. thing. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this lately and with my own journey and with clients that I see that are what I would call successful. And I don't just mean in terms of a uh, physical transformation, but I see their journey like, Uh, they'll come to me with a little bit of mm, uh, issues with food, like not bad enough to where bad enough, quote unquote, where they need to like go to therapy, but they could probably improve their relationship with food. And then through Mm -hmm. tracking their macros, they actually learn how to do that. And then by living in their maintenance, they understand, oh, I can eat more and I feel okay with this. But -hmm. at the same time, they're doing this other work. They're doing a deeper work with therapy, um, Mm looking at their relationship with food, looking at, I don't know, everything you were talking about. It's like, none of this works in silos. It's all right. connected. And that's Absolutely. why your coaching and your therapy is probably so powerful because it's not just, how are you doing? It's how are you doing? And what did you have for breakfast today? For right. So like right. Absolutely. your clients, not that, I mean, I think I'll probably go be going to therapy forever. Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> right? like maintenance, right? Yeah. Maintenance, like, so like the, I think it's like, if we look at it from approach of, like some people might want to get massages for the rest of their life. Some people would look at a massage as either luxury or if you have an injury, mm-hmm. you know, same thing with therapy. Like, I think if we look at it from this idea of something's wrong with me, I have to go to a professional and get fixed. And I, I say on a regular basis to my clients, you're not broken. Mm-hmm. And I don't sit in a higher seat than you. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just sitting here with you. Of course, I have some experience and education under my belt, like, and I've got some interesting degrees on my wall, but I'm another human being sitting with you and I'm simply mirroring back and helping you tap into those unconscious parts that you can't see. And I'm going to have a little bit of a better, clearer view to those, Mm -hmm. just as if the role was reversed, you would be able to support me in that process. And so we're just kind of on this journey, I think, of being willing to go, I'm okay And I've got to clean some of this up Mm -hmm. or I'm actually struggling. And I also am practicing the impermanence of all of it and know that it ebbs and flows. And can I have grace with myself in the darkness? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when we struggle the most, we are the hardest on ourselves. You know, if we think of from a diet perspective, if we're eating relatively well and we feel pretty balanced and then we maybe struggle and have a moment of maybe binge eating or we get pulled into the holidays or something and it starts to derail we need the most support then like we mean we need the most understanding and kind of compassion because it's a struggle and that's when people want to rail on themselves and i feel it's the same thing with you know in our culture when we're kind of all collectively struggling people are just getting kind of nastier with each other having a lot less grace with one another it's like what i always say about the holidays they say it's the most beautiful time of the year and i find it's when some people are kind of the shittiest you know it brings out the worst in people oftentimes yeah but that the the accountability piece too again if it's coming from an ego perspective right then the accountability piece will look like short-term motivation usually done through shame so i went to the doctor the doctor said i have to lose weight Um, I tried on a bathing suit. I didn't like the way I looked in it. I went to the gym and I wasn't as strong as I was last year. So there's a lot of motivation and it's usually through shame. And so the ego loves that versus tapping into something deeper and more the essence, if you will, the spirit, the soul, whatever you call it, the higher self, tapping into a piece of, I want to show up different. 
I am, I want to behave like the person I want to be. You know, so many times I hear, well, I can't change. How do you change? How do you change? How do you change? I'm like, that's a really big question, but we have to accept where you are in this moment. And that's the thing people struggle with. Like, no, I want to change. I'm like, the big paradox is you got to accept yourself before any change can happen. So we have to accept ourselves first. And then the second piece would be, what if you operated like a person that felt good about themselves? Mm. What if you what if you went to the gym and you pretended to be an athlete? Well, I haven't worked out. I can't do that. I said, the mind is interesting. It's always going to want to have you do what it did yesterday. But what if you pretended? No one needs to know. You just yeah. go with the attitude. You pretend like I belong here. Yeah. I'm going to operate as if, or, you know, I always think if we struggle with our self-esteem as we all do at times, right. act like the person you want to be. It's not about being fake. It's not about um, pretending. It's if you want to have self-worth, high self-esteem and respect for yourself, mm-hmm. are you behaving like someone who does? Mm-hmm. Simple. We overcomplicate everything, right? Everything, Joe. Yes. Everything. That's why I love you. what you put out in the world. It's like lift heavy things, work hard, eat real food, be accountable. Yeah. And then you've got all sorts of fun ways to help people do those basic things that care for the self. It's mm-hmm. not, this is a new superfood juice that if you drink it right after the meal, it's going to help your metabolic rate. Or this one exercise is going to burn the inner fat or the thigh that you what let me burn the fat in your inner thigh whatever like it's it's this magic shit is the same thing that I think keeps everyone's ego kind of overwhelmed everyone's energy kind of in this place of I don't know what to do I'm inundated with all this stuff you know even politically like when I share things with friends I'll say oh I listened to this podcast it's this interesting thing I heard from this doctor and they'll say oh I didn't hear any of that it's just too much it's too much it's too much I'm like Maybe it's too much, or maybe you're taking in so much. We have to discern a little bit. Like, what are some pieces that you can take in that will be helpful to, for you to kind of know what to do or how to respond or mm-hmm. what, to, what to feel or think about something based on the information that you have? We, can, we have to stop taking all this in. Yeah. So it's so interesting. I just want to bridge the gap from the end to the beginning talking about Bikram yoga, one of the reasons it was so therapeutic for me is, you know, you're standing in front of that mirror for 90 minutes. Yeah. I swear to whoever you believe in, (laughs) I had to face myself. I literally had to face myself and I had to see who I was. And that is, that is what I think was the first domino to help me transform the way that I needed to transform at that time. Right. Because you, you couldn't escape. You couldn't escape through the constant movement. You couldn't escape through the dark lighting. Mm -hmm. You couldn't escape getting lost in music. You know, you couldn't, you know, it's like you're facing the self. And like, if we look at that symbolically, it's like, again, there's the light and the dark. We could use the mirror to like pick apart our body or our appearance or hyper-focus. Or we can use the mirror to say, I'm here. Yeah. I see you. I'm listening. Mm -hmm you know, and to not have all those distractions. So again, but it's one of the scariest things that we can do, I think, as people is to face the self because Mm -hmm. there's so much in there and there's so many shadow parts of the personality, the parts of our personality that we want kept away. Mm -hmm. There's such this fear because I think underneath it, it always stems down to, if you really saw who I was, you might not love me. Oh, 100%. And so then you see that in so many other realms. If you knew that I believed this, maybe you would not love me. You would judge me. If you knew that I liked this person, maybe you would think differently of me. Mm -hmm. If you knew that after yoga, I want to get a Diet Coke and smoke a cigarette, you would judge me. I mean, I don't do that now, but there was many years. Oh, hell yeah. I never smoked. I drink all that Diet Coke. (laughs) I mean, I can't tell you how many trips or how many uh, times after yoga I was in the car with a Diet Dr. Pepper and a Marlboro Light. And I was like... (laughs) This is very paradoxical and I'm going to try to love myself through it. <laughs> but it's that, that I think that fear. And I think that so when it, when our, the way we approach food, the way we approach our body and the way we approach relationships, because I think they're all connected, like everything is relationship. If we're coming from this place of fear and pressure and ego, we might have very short-term 
success. We might have a very short term marker that we that we hit. Sustainable mm. requires us to get to find something deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be like in a relationship if you meet someone that you're attracted to and you think they're good looking. That's fun for a minute, but that doesn't necessarily sustain a, a relationship. It's very similar to like, oh, you know, I want to get into this size at this time of year, or I want to, I want, I should get healthy. I have to get healthy for my family. I heard that a lot. I have to get healthy for my family. I said, I love that you love your family. Is it possible to also include you in the reason why you want to get healthy? Well, I don't care about me. I said, well, we need to really tease that apart. Because if you don't care about you and you're doing this for someone else, even if it's going to therapy, a lot of people come to therapy because someone in their life told them they needed to go. That can help someone get in the door. Mm -hmm. But unless we're looking within, it's going to be very short-lived. It's going to be very short-lived. That is so interesting because let me tell you something. Around the holidays, there will be a few people that reach out and they're like, I want to get my daughter. I want to get my mom. I want to get my wife. Um, all the time I get that. Yeah. To your program. I'm like, no, you no. unless they told you they want this. No, it's like buying yeah. a pet for someone that doesn't know they're getting a pet. Mm-hmm. It never works out. They Absolutely. Don't, you cannot give this shit to someone. Absolutely. You want it yourself. Absolutely. Because it's like, it, it, there's, it's twofold. One is that no one will be helped unless they want to be helped. But then the second part is, is that it's very easy to focus on someone else and what they need. It's much harder to focus on ourselves in terms of what we need. You know, it's like, it's, it's easy to see that in someone else, you know, and be like, oh, they would really benefit from therapy. Well, maybe you would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just like when I worked in uh, treatment in particular, and I worked with a lot of families and I would say a predominant amount of the folks I treated were younger women, predominant. And we would do family therapy. And it was very fascinating when I would explore mom and dad's relationship with food. They were not very interested in that. They were very interested in helping their daughter heal. Um, And we'd get quite annoyed and offended when I would ask them questions about their relationship with food. You know, oh, we're not here for that. I said, oh, we so are. And my name's Joe. You haven't met me, but I'm I'm really confrontational. And I know you're probably going to get mad, but you'll appreciate it later. Yeah. Gosh. I'm an acquired, I'm an acquired taste. <laughs> but well, I like it. I want more. You. I'm going back to the buffet. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I feel the same about you. Yeah. It, but it, it's that I think just kind of collectively, you know, I, I joke and I try to have a levity about it, but there's like this kind of collective malaise that, that there's just, there's just struggle. And I think that the, the pandemic years, we're still feeling the effects of it. The best way I can describe it would be it's 2024 and we see a crisis in a lot of big cities, mine included, of people on the street. It's a crisis. This can be traced back to the early 80s when a lot of mental health institutions that were government funded were closed under the Reagan administration. So we're looking at decades ago, we're seeing a, a kind of an effect of there's no placement for people that need like a mental health hold if you will like they're not safe to be in public they need some intervention like there's not places that are available to them and this traces back to the early 80s we're seeing kind of with covid and the a lot of the um mandating and a lot of the the life changes during that period of time we're seeing still the ripple effect of that we're seeing the disconnection with people we're seeing the high profound rates of anxiety with young people um i i think i had mentioned to you i don't know if i told you on this podcast or i was speaking um another time that the average eight when they were um doing studies of um eighth graders their level of anxiety that was reported was one of a psychiatric patient in the 60s you know it's it's mind-blowing and it's a it's a crisis and there's a lot of performative nature about it so there's a lot of you know mental health mental health awareness hashtag you're not alone a lot of things like that there's not a lot of healing in that there's a lot of diagnosis, there's a lot of videos talking about it, but there's not a lot of healing because really in order to heal, we need to be kind of supported in a way where we can face ourselves in a way that's safe. And then also be able to look around and say, well, 
if you are a young person and you're spending 12 hours a day gaming or online, of course you're depressed. Or if you're comparing yourself to people online that are um, computer images or um, lit in a way that it, it looks perfect, um, of course you're gonna experience body dysmorphia and anxiety. Like, how could you not? Like, how could you not look at constant images? It would be like when you and I were younger, if I was looking at GQ seven hours a day and you were looking at Sports Illustrated swimsuit seven hours a day and then asking, oh, how do you feel about yourself? Well, I feel like shit. I feel fat, I feel gross. I feel like not enough, you know? Um, and so again, it's not, we can't really change the culture, we can't, you know, eliminate these things. I think it's just about being aware of how does it affect us? How much news are we taking in? Um, how much willingness do we have to um, sh shut plug, um, unplug and be with ourselves? take a long bath, um, connect with people that we love, like connect with them, spend time with them, share a meal with them. You know, those are the kind of things that will help us heal. And then also knowing that um, the hope is, is that um, as we continue to kind of get into this, you know, new technological age of just kind of like rapid growth is that we kind of still hold on to some things that were pre-tech, you know, like I still have friends that get shocked if I call them, they say, oh, is everything okay? I'm like, no, I, I want to pretend like it's the nineties and call and just say, hi, I'm weird. Like, is everything okay? I'm like, God, that's so, we live in such a weird world. So if you call someone, they think something must be wrong. Or I remember back in the day, stopping over my friend's houses, if I were in their neighborhood, I would just stop over. If I think if I did that now, people would be scared. They would think that I was a lunatic. What you know, Why are you here? Right? Like I would stop, if I was in my friend's neighborhood, I would stop over and be like, oh, I'm just in your neighborhood. I wanted to say, hi, what are you doing? It was fun. Now, I don't think I'd ever even think about doing that. I mean, I would like text someone to see if they could talk on the phone. Like that's where we're at, right? Yeah. It's, it's, that is not normal, but we're all in it. So I think we have to kind of have a lot of patience and grace for ourselves in the process. Yeah, it's definitely not normal. There's nothing normal about what we're doing. No, no, no. Yeah, it's like, it's like always, like I say all the time, the world is crazy. Thank God. That's why I have a job. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I know you do. Like, I'm assuming you don't even have any openings right now. Um, I don't, I have no, but I, I usually will be able to get people in if they can have some flexibility. And I work with, I work with people, like some people I see once a month, some people I see them weekly, you know, some people I see occasionally when they want a little extra support. Um, but I do my very best to, if someone's on my wait list to try to get them in as quick as I can. Yeah. So let's say um, I did want to reach out to you. What's the best way to get a hold of you, Joe? Where can I find you? Um, my website is joeibin.com. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. I do have a lot. I, people love to do DMs on Instagram. I, I, I always just like to refer people to my website. But if they DM on Instagram, that's okay, too. It's again, it's a new world. I remember like, you know, in therapy school, I never thought I'd be like, I wonder if I'm going to get clients through DMs on Facebook or uh, Instagram. <laughs> you will. Yeah. You will, Joe. Anyway, <laughs> we can get a hold of you. We're going to find an inroad and we are going to reach out and tell you what we're dealing with. Oh, uh, thank you. Oh my God. I mean, I could talk to you for a whole other hour, but I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's so wonderful to see you. And thank oh. you for everything that you put out in the world. I find you to be inspiring. I know you personally and professionally. You're the real deal. Um, I refer people to check you out when they want someone that's psychologically healthy that's not disordered and uh dysmorphic and someone that can be encouraging to like live better and feel better and be real and you're hilarious and yeah. i just adore you and love you well that, and that's my whole goal like i see how fucked up it is and i'm like this is not okay this is not okay like yeah. i have my own issues and i'll talk about that but like that's not what heals you right yeah Thanks again, Joe. Absolutely. So great to see you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to Far From Perfect. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember, you can always connect with Joe on Instagram at Joe's Daily Cup, or you can link directly to his website, which is joeiben.com, J-O-E-E-I-B-E-N. Make sure you check out the show notes to get information on they're not our sponsors. <laughs> I don't have sponsors. They're just brands that I'm affiliates with that I am in alignment with. And that includes at work nutrition supplements. You can use code Kylie to save 10% on your first purchase. My glow pro self tanner using code Larson to save 5%. And then of course, beauty counter, beautycounter.com slash Kylie Larson. And then also I have a new, I have a new membership and it is a super affordable $17, $17 a month, no, 27 and it's our macro meal plan membership. So each month you are emailed a recipe pack with super macro friendly recipes that not only include the macros, but an easy barcode for scanning into my fitness pal. So I know it's a drag like meal prepping every week and coming up with new stuff. So now you don't have to worry about it. You guys will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.